You're listening to Matters of Engagement, a podcast examining issues at the intersection of health, healthcare, and society. I'm Jennifer Johannesson. And I'm Emily Nicholas Angle. In this episode, we kick off our health policy series and speak with Julia Abelson, professor and researcher at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, and lead of the Public Engagement in Health Policy Project. For transcripts and links, please check the show notes. Hey, Jen. Hey, Emily. So, we're branching out. I know. It's really exciting. It's been fun, you know, figuring out how we want to proceed and and building a lineup of guests. Yep. And to help us stay focused, we're going to embark on a series of, well, series. We're thinking of them as collections of episodes that loosely revolve around a theme. So except for the rare occasion, there won't be a required sequence. Listeners can jump in anytime. Okay, so first up is a series on health policy. We have a range of questions we want to explore, including things like, who is involved in making policy? And how are public needs identified? How is public engagement defined? And who is included or excluded? Even though we're moving into wider territory now, It's kind of amazing how engagement continues to be such a prevalent theme, especially when it comes to health policy. There's a significant downstream effect on how we all experience our health and healthcare, but it's also a fairly removed and non-transparent process. Yeah, absolutely. Policy is made by politicians, bureaucrats, regulators, lawmakers, and influenced by a lot of different parties with special interests. There's a sense that people in charge aren't attending to the needs of so-called regular people. So, like practically everywhere else these days, engagement is a hot topic. Yeah, and it's important for both sides. People want to be engaged, and those in charge want to be seen to be engaging. There's certainly a lot to consider. Not just how people interact with the healthcare system, but the extent to which the system is reflecting and serving the needs of people. So yeah. We're really pleased to be taking a deeper dive and making a whole series devoted to public engagement in health policy. It's a pretty varied series we have lined up. We're exploring topics like Black community engagement and COVID, use of health data, even the business and politics of engagement. And we're going to hear from a wider range of people than before, community leaders and policymakers, and I guess what we might call regular people, (laughs) members of the public like you and me. And to kick things off, we're talking again to Julia Abelson. Julia was an early guest way back in season one, talking about evaluation in patient engagement practice. Which, by the way, was one of our most downloaded episodes. Julia is actually well known for her work in public engagement as well as health policy. She's a professor at McMaster in the Department of Health Evidence and Impact and an associate member in the Department of Political Science. She's also director of the Health Policy PhD program. She has a special research interest in public engagement in health system governance and the analysis of the determinants of health policy decision-making. So obviously, an ideal guest for our topic. We thought checking in with her would help point us in helpful directions. And it really did. Julie is leading a team of researchers in a project based at McMaster University. It's actually called... um public engagement in health policy. Sounds like a good fit. 
<laughs> yeah, well, the project aims to critically reflect on some of the political, economic, and social challenges in public engagement in health policy and consider what might be needed moving forward to address those challenges. To be able to deliver on all this, they've assembled a diverse team of researchers to consider these challenges from different angles. We'll be speaking with a few of them in this series. Yep, so we reconnected with Julia for a big picture conversation about some of the early insights learned in the project so far. One of the research themes in the project is looking back, reflecting on the evolution of engagement practices in health policy and seeing what can be learned from past experiences. And for Julia, it's not just a theoretical exercise. She's been a researcher in this field for, well, her entire career. And so she's seen some of these changes firsthand. We got to talk to her about her insights related to trends in engagement in health policy, and also discussed one of the project's first outputs, a case survey of government-initiated public engagement in health policy. Yeah, I remember when that was published a couple of months ago. It's called... Trends in Public Engagement in Canadian Health Policy from 2000 to 2021 results from a comparative descriptive analysis. It got a lot of attention, I think, because it's maybe the only study of its kind. Well, it's certainly uncommon to conduct research on engagement that isn't just about you know, the doing. There's not a lot of looking back and trying to understand what has already happened. Yep, and, well, this is familiar territory. The language and definitions around engagement are often quite loose. So figuring out what it is you're actually trying to study is one of the first things to address. Here's Julia. It's, it's interesting because the forms of engagement are really, th th there are many of them, right? And there are shades of differences, right? And I think that's been one of the things that I've always found a little bit both interesting and you know, maybe a little frustrating because there's a lack of conceptual clarity about what are we actually talking about? You know, if I were to say I do work in public engagement to 10 different people, they would actually interpret what I mean by that in potentially 10 different ways. Um, people would have different views. So being conceptually clear about what we mean by that. So these are pretty fundamental questions, like who are we actually talking about and in what context? It's one of the reasons this kind of foundational work is important. It helps to establish some common ground, and like Julia says, tries to gain some conceptual clarity. Yeah, I think we often talk in circles. So actually doing the research gives a much more solid footing for moving forward. It's a lot about methods, right? And so I, I don't actually distinguish the methods from the the enterprise itself, right? I, I again, that's because I'm a researcher, right? I can't help but think about, and that's always been my interest. Is if we're going, to, if we think this is important, this this notion of engaging publics in in some way, in more or less interactive ways, all of these different you know elements along the continuum. What are the what are the most robust ways that we can do this? And then we get into things around representation or representativeness, inclusivity, transformative. You know many of the different um, characteristics of, um, and and again some of the critiques of, of processes that are, don't have those elements and and where perhaps we should be going. Julia said publics plural, because often when we say the public, we're not actually talking about every possible individual but rather subgroups or categories of people. And you obviously can't include literally everyone, so there will inevitably be questions about who is engaged and to what extent can you assume 
those people represent others. Yeah, these aren't simple matters at all. The connection I'm making here about what Julia said is that the methods used for engagement really do both reflect and define the nature of the engagement. Unfortunately, I'm not sure a lot of people who do engagement realize that. I think it's common to pick a popular or easy way of engaging, but not necessarily consider the implications later. I'm sure Julia's seen it all, or at least a lot. And of course, as a researcher, her focus is on observing and studying and analyzing. She's not typically involved in the engagement activity that she's studying. I don't dictate because I don't make the decisions about how engagement, you know, is going to be um, positioned, uh, lobbied for policy documents, legislation, you know, I'm, I'm a researcher and I respond to what I see happening in the policy sphere, right, around engagement. So when I see a policy, a government saying we are going to, you know, focus on patient partnered you know, policy making, research, whatever. I say, oh, okay, that's interesting. So what's, you know, where where am I? I'm looking for the underpinnings for it all. But I'm always thinking about it to some extent methodologically, whether, you know, that's maybe a, not you know, good or bad, but that is how I think, okay, if that's going to be our plan, our, our kind of motivation, what, whatever has motivated that decision, um, I think we need to do the best job that we can uh, with that. So Julia mentions here thinking methodologically, which means to look at what's happening using established tools, methods, and frameworks to gain a better understanding. It's so important to do this work because often ideals around engagement are just so loaded with passion and emotion. It can be hard to see what's really going on when it feels like there's a lot at stake. So as a kind of witness or observer, Julia's in a position to note inconsistencies or discontinuities, where things just don't quite line up. We hear this a lot, actually, from researchers in this space. There can be a lot of misalignment and mismatch of intentions. This is where some of the critique comes in. I could also be critical and say, I don't think that's a good way to proceed because I don't think you'll be able to achieve true partnership. I think you're, I think it's, um, you know, a false starting point because in the way that our healthcare system is uh, structured with tremendous power differentials in a way society is structured. I mean, are we really thinking that we are going to have this notion of some, you know, kind of true uh, partnership, right? So this is, this is where we get into the, the politics and the contested um, notions of partnered um, anything, right? Um, when we're talking about extreme power differentials um, that are unlikely, in my view, to, to change, you know, very, very soon or, or quickly. So I'm trying to do better, do better with what we have, with what's kind of in front of us and try to, you know, encourage people to, well, if you're going to do this, think about these principles and, but also being, having some kind of critical foundations with like, are you really, you know, can you really even call it that uh, given the realities of, of, of what our current structures look like? This is one of those themes that yields a lot of interesting ideas for critique. How power is held and shared or not shared and how that affects notions of so-called true partnership, however that's defined. So we have a disconnect between what we're calling something and how that actually looks in practice. But then we have almost the opposite thing happening too, where we just keep doing the same thing over and over, but call it by different names. I mean, I see lots of different 
labels being used, right? Terms being used to describe things. Um, sometimes I see a label being used to describe something that isn't any different from what we were doing before, but it's a new label, right? I think we have lots of examples of those. Um, sometimes it's truly an attempt to, to shift some ways of doing things. Um, and maybe by labeling it in a way, you, you're sort of aspirational, right? We're, we're trying to move in this direction. Yeah, I, I definitely see this. I can't comment on whether it's aspirational or not, but I do see a lot of repackaging of things done before, and conversely, borrowing terms or labels which have a lot of history behind them, maybe to give something a certain appeal or connotation. One thing that's coming up an awful lot, which I think is, and it has been for some time, but it has continued to, to come up in the context of this project is, again, back to labeling and back to, you know, concepts like community, community-based participatory research, right? A CBPR, a well-known, you know, approach to research, long, long history, right? And some would argue maybe some of the principles of patient-oriented research are very, you know, there's overlaps and people have asked that question, what's the difference? I do this, you know? or the, even the concept of community-engaged research, which may be a new term, right? And yet community-based participant has a lot of the principles or you know, co-design to some extent or a bit different for experience-based co-design versus some other co-design. Um, so for me, it's, you know, it's important to know because um, well, why would we you know, just start over when we could just take some really good ideas that have already been around and help? And I also think that things come, are cyclical, right? Um, so we do see things that were, you know, a lot of the public engagement stuff that I was involved in, you know, a long time ago, we're starting to hear people talk more about publics and communities again, right? We kind of went through this. It's nothing about public. It's all about patients now. Patients, family care, you know, we're not interested in public. It's all about patients. Uh, now we're coming back to hmm, maybe it's about communities and publics. And I'm like, wow, we were talking about that a long time ago. And again, not just me, like many, many other people. Well, part of the work of Julia's team is to indeed look back and take stock of some of what's come before. The team just published what they're calling a case survey. It's an analysis of public engagement trends over time, starting with the Romano Report. It's a white paper that was commissioned by the government. The commission was led by Roy Romano, and it was called The Future of Healthcare in Canada. So we took the, the paper, you know, the Romano Commission kind of as our starting point, Future of Healthcare in Canada, because there was a lot of, um, you know, public engagement was a big part of, of the contribution to the, to the commission work. Um, and it actually seeded a lot of the public deliberation work that I and many others have gotten involved in since then. In many respects, um, you know, the, the feeling was not a lot has changed in the sense that we're still looking at pretty passive pretty indirect, pretty kind of put it out there and maybe if someone finds the website and can... Yeah, so the case survey was really interesting. We're just going to pull a few things out of the abstract here and we really encourage listeners to take a look. The link is in the show notes. No paywalls and they've done a good job of making it fairly accessible language-wise. The basic idea was that they hoped to identify trends in engagement approaches in health policy by collecting examples of government-initiated engagement activities from the year 2000 up until 2021. And they were looking for particular information, like type of engagement, target population, selection method. This is all the method stuff that Julia was talking about. 
and they also wanted to see whether these activities took stated or explicit steps to include marginalized populations. Okay, so looking over the details here, um, okay, so here are some highlights. They found a predominance of feedback-oriented engagement. Mm, so not really partnership as it's commonly defined. Okay, and self-selection recruitment methods. Mm -hmm. So they were essentially just looking for volunteers. Okay, and engagements that include multiple populations were favored over single or targeted populations. And only one in 10 mentioned marginalized groups. Wait, do you mean focused on? Uh, no, it, it says mentioned. Mm, okay. And a lot of reliance on passive and indirect engagement, especially at the federal level. Well, I have to say none of this really comes as a surprise. Yeah, I don't think they were surprised either. Although, there was one interesting thing that really stood out. And it's that at one point, it's like the federal government kind of kicked into action and initiated a flurry of public feedback engagements. So when they say feedback engagements, did they say exactly what that is? Like, how is that defined? Well, they describe it as a fairly shallow but broad form of engagement. Like a one-time call for comments on something specific. And it's usually narrowly framed. One of the caveats with, with the case survey analysis is that we happened to stumble upon a, a very large number of cases at the federal level because in 2015-16, they put in place this very formalized public feedback platform. They put it out for every single issue that they're seeking public input on. It's interesting because it's very formalized and very transparent in the sense that it's all there if you find it and you can have all kinds of, you know, provide your input on many, many issues, but you have no idea where it's going. It's very transactional and very one way. It's interesting. And that, I mean, that's one trend. Like why? So our questions are, why was that even set up? What was the motivation for that? So that's, you know, follow-up work we do. Right. So the team noted a flurry of a specific kind of engagement activity, which in itself raises more questions for the team. They did actually find some more deliberative work being done at the provincial level. But then at the provincial level, of course, we know of many of our cases that were very in-depth, very much more of, a, of an attempt to, over longer time periods, using multiple approaches, um, you know, I'm thinking some of the mental health engagement processes that we looked at, have much deeper, more long-term and more thoughtful and kind of interactive uh, types of engagement, right? Where they're using feedback consultation, as well as maybe they're bringing a group to, together to deliberate around things. So very mixed. So lots of interesting food for thought. And that makes sense. The case survey isn't meant to necessarily answer how or why, but what? To actually collect some data. And so that's why it's hard to kind of make very broad conclusions from this, and we don't want to. It was merely, I think, a helpful exercise to see what's out there and to actually use it to generate new research questions and also to point to some, some uh, opportunities for, for institutional change. For example, the fact that you still... So we should mention in our conversation with Julia, she acknowledged that they were relying on essentially publicly available information. And there's a lot of engagement activity that isn't publicized or recorded in a formal way. So they're aware this could create some gaps in what they're studying. Still, what they did find generated some useful insights. The other thing that I think was interesting, perhaps 
you know, what we would have been expecting and did find is the pan-Canadian, right? So this is largely the health technology. This is CADIF. They're the ones CADIF is Canada's drug and health technology agency. They develop recommendations for the optimal use of things like drugs and diagnostic tests and various devices and procedures. They have a public engagement process. They're the ones doing the kind of the in-depth, the deliberative, like the really bringing it into their, you know, every you know aspect of their decision-making process. But again, are you more, and I'm, I'm kind of stealing my students thunder on this a little bit because she's looking at exploring this with long-term care. The further out you get from the actual path, the decision-making, you know, uh, uh, location and who's making the decision, the, um, the more likely you are to be open maybe to more, you know, um, thoughtful, interactive, inclusive engagement. The stakes aren't so high, right? When you're looking at, we're going to make a decision. And, you know, these are going to be tough decisions. And how are we going to engage publics? Maybe that feedback consultation, we'll do that broad-based stuff, superficial, but maybe we don't want to have them so close, right, to actually informing the decision. Um, that's, that's a big part of, uh, I think, where we're going to be going with some of these more in-depth case studies. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'll be curious to see where they net out on all of this. Maybe it's also not so much that the stakes aren't high, but that the impact isn't immediate or highly visible, and therefore it seems like lower stakes. Decisions made early in a process can entirely shape what's to follow. So I would argue that the stakes maybe are quite high. I suppose an argument could be made for deliberation early on in a process, like Julia's describing, and then intentionally deploying a more efficient and broad-based consultation later on as something gets closer to market, well, using the example of Cadith, it just wouldn't be possible to deliberate on literally everything. Yeah, and that actually came up in conversation with other project team members, that it's perhaps not reasonable to think that every part of a process is going to be a full-on partnership with all stakeholders. And I think you've said this before too, Emily, that as a consultant, you sometimes see engagement where it just doesn't really belong. Yeah. And maybe more common is that engagement can be used inappropriately or without a real goal. This leads to another question we had for Julia, which is that, well, how does she feel when she observes false starts, misalignments, and confusion? The case survey was maybe a bit unusual for her in that it was a very high-level inquiry using public records. But as a researcher, she often is more immersed in the work of engagement. And I wonder, it must be challenging to hold back on making recommendations. It's, it's analysis, right? That's where I come back to my role, analyst versus advocate. I mean, of course, there is some advocacy to this in the sense of I, I firmly believe uh, in the importance of you know, publics, you know, meaningfully contributing to shaping, you know, policy decisions that are made that they're going to be affected by, right, as recipients, as users, as, as you know, people who are, um, um, again, this idea of, of, uh, of, of shareholders and, and, and users, whether current or, or future in, of our health system. So I firmly believe in that. And those are kind of democratic values, right, that I hold. Um, but I try to separate that from I'm going to advocate for a particular way of doing this. Hopefully my contributions are more 
as a researcher and analyst of these things. And by analyst, I mean in lots of ways, right? Analyzing the political structures, analyzing the methods we use and you know, lots of different ways into that analyst role to hopefully inform and improve. Yeah, this is really interesting for me to hear. I admit that for me and how I've thought about my work, the line between analyst and advocate is a little less clear. One of the things I've thought about a lot is the fact that I've been critiquing patient engagement practice in particular for a long time, and I'm still seen as a kind of advocate for improvement. It's kind of why I'm keen to step back a bit from patient partnership as a topic. I don't really feel comfortable being seen as an advocate. I totally get Julia's distinction though. As a researcher, she's not actually telling people what to do or how to make it better. She's, as she said, responding to what's in front of her and providing analysis. And then, of course, people can do what they want with that information and knowledge. Julia's delineating between analyst and advocate, but she's also clearly acknowledging her perspective and her desire to contribute to things improving. We, we just do and we don't think about why we're doing. Now, some people are doing because there are these, these incentive structures, right, put in place to say you have to do not why you have to do, right? So to be fair, um, I think partly it's maybe a, a deficiency or a, a lack of the proper underpinnings for something being set up in the first place to explain why, right? Or what we need to think through to make decisions about whether you go ahead or how you go ahead, or that there's a whole kind of history before this, or that these principles look a lot like those principles. I do think there's a lot of doing and just how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we get that off our plate? How do we <laughs> move on to the next thing and say we did it? And I guess, yeah, I mean, it's like, this is going to cause me to really reflect because what is, you know, what does that say about this field if we can even define it as a field, right? So um, again, that's a whole other, that's very existential around this for, for Friday. <laughs> well, even if you're not listening on a Friday, I'm sure this is all still relevant. <laughs> Indeed. Big thanks to Julia Abelson for connecting with us again. We'll be back soon with more episodes, including more conversations with team members from the Public Engagement and Health Policy Project. Super. Let's leave it there. See you soon, Emily. Bye, Jen. Matters of Engagement is written and produced by Jennifer Johannesson and Emily Nicholas Engel. If you have feedback, ideas, or just want to say hello, please get in touch through our website at mattersofengagement.com. This series is supported by the Public Engagement in Health Policy Project, which promotes research, critical reflection, and dialogue about engagement issues that have a health and health policy focus. Learn more about this Future of Canada project at engagementinhealthpolicy.ca.